Hello, and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Ken O'Malley. And Brian McGarry. Tonight is episode number 29 of Complimentary Cinema. If you're new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Please be warned that we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. So, it was uh, your turn to pick. And uh, what did we pick tonight, Ken? We picked the movie from 20 We picked the movie from 2010 called Frozen. Not to be confused with the animated children's movie by the same name. I literally cracked up when I saw the title. Yeah. But apparently this predates the Disney Frozen. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of surprised in hindsight that they I guess this wasn't well established enough. It must must not have been. No, it looks like it was uh, made on a shoestring budget. So this movie is uh, by director and writer Adam Green, who apparently is, uh, he based a lot of the stuff on this on people that he knew and uh, kind of the town he grew up in, even though it's not really related. They just used all the names of all of his favorite people and places. Um, and then it also stars Emma Bell, Sean Ashmore, and Kevin Zegers. Those are the main three people we spend the most time with. Uh, there's also a couple other side characters. One is Ed Ackerman as Jason, um, and Ryla Vanderbilt as Shannon, and Kane Hodder as Cody. That's so, our basic uh, cast of characters there. I should mention that the main characters' names are Parker, Joe, and Dan. Fantastic. Yep, that's that's the three people that we care about. So what what do we typically look for when we are watching a movie? Boy, Ken, am I really glad you asked. We have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's staying in. <laughs> Boy, Ken, am I really glad that you asked. We actually have three primary criteria that we uh, judge uh, the merits of each film by. So firstly, is it well-written? Is it well-acted? And is it well-produced? And... Uh... Is that what happened today? Well, I guess we'll find out. We'll have to just find out through the uh, course of this discussion. So a little little uh, quick uh, plot synopsis here in summary. So essentially we have three college jerks who uh, tr- are trying to do a little ski trip for the weekend. And they're all cheap asses. So instead of just buying regular tickets, uh, you know, they're college students. So it's allegedly poor or whatever. They're not dressed like it, but that's beside the point. They decide instead that they're going to bribe the lift operator, the ski lift operator, for them to get onto the uh, to the mountain, you know, and make a few runs. And uh, Parker is a young lady who's dating Dan, who's kind of kind of a dick, and his best friend is uh, Dan, who's also kind of a dick. Yeah. No wait. No, the other one. Joe. So so okay. So Parker is dating Dan. Yeah. And Dan is in another relationship with his best friend named Joe. Correct. And it's kind of a very odd love triangle. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of tension there. It's one of those, you know, the friend is jealous of the new girlfriend. I mean, relatively new. They make it seem like they just started dating. And then you find out later on, they've been together for a year. Yeah. And, you know, I'd call a year a good, a good while, especially in college. 
so anyway, so they, you know, they, they go up and down the, the hill a few times. And because uh, Parker is really just a novice, she can't do the big runs with the big kids. And uh, best friend Joe kind of resents Parker for that. Mm-hmm. So they decide uh, they're going to go for one last late night run. And right as they're cl- uh, they go up to the uh, ski lift operator and he's like, no, 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 we got to close. You know, the weather's getting bad. And they're like, come on, man. We gave you, you know, however many dollars. It's like, all right, all right, all right. So he lets him go on and ski lift operator guy gets distracted. He gets called away, basically. And another ski lift dipshit replaces him. And uh, they end up getting stranded up there. And at first, you know, it's not such a big deal. They're like, you know, kind of making fun of it a little bit. And then the lights turn off. Yeah. And then they realize they are royally screwed. And not only has the operator gone home, but now the person at the top of the hill has left. The whoever person that was in like a kind of like a little, what's it called? Like a, a groomer, a snow machine of some kind. Yeah. You know, he he, he he's leaving and uh, it's it's looking really bad for them because... The, the real trouble is that this is a Sunday and the ski slope is only open on the weekend. So there, no one's even going to come back until five days later. That's a hell of a pickle to be stuck in, isn't it? It is. That is what we call a problematic situation. Uh, very problematic. And it's also, as you can imagine, cold. Yes. Um, that's kind of hinted at by the title of the film and also the fact that they're up on a ski slope. Yes. There's snow everywhere. There is snow, and it snows intermittently throughout this film. And uh, so let's see. So early on, uh, you know, after they, you know, we spent a lot of time in the ski in the ski lift chair, watching these people talk, and they talk about some of their you know favorite breakfast cereals and Christmas gifts, and then eventually they realize when the snow groomer comes and goes and doesn't see them that okay they're really in for it. And they got to get out of there. So uh, Dan, you know, decides, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a jump for it and try and get out of here. And he does. And he takes a very straight-legged jump and breaks both of his legs. Yeah. They snap like just twigs from a tree. And I, I have to say the crunching sound was some of the best sound editing. That was great. Mm. That was... The, anyway, so, so he's, you know, down there below them both legs broken he's having a very bad time they're freaking out up up there and uh it's not long until some wolves come along ken and the wolves decide to eat dan yeah in a very grisly fashion that now leaves two stupid jerks up in the ski lift Mm -hmm. parker and joe for those keeping track at home and uh after another day and night of them just kind of sitting there and being angry with each other, uh, finally, Joe decides, right, I'm really going to make to try to climb uh, over the steel rope, steel cable to try to get to the nearest pole so that they can, can climb down and ostensibly uh, get help. Which he then goes and does, only except he ends up being intercepted by, you guessed it, more wolves. Yeah, same wolves from earlier. And eventually... The, uh, the ski lift uh, detaches and falls and in such a way that uh, Parker is able to uh, get to the ground and then crawl to safety and is eventually found. 
at the edge of a road. And that's essentially your film. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this film a little bit. Hmm. So my first impression of this film, I would say, was um, not good. We started with our three main characters just talking at the bottom of a ski lift about whatever random stuff, how they're going to scheme their way up the mountain. And I was already like, okay, this is the level of writing we're going to have. The opening scene absolutely did not pull you in. Like the bar was set and it was a disappointing level that we were never going to get above. I certainly understand, you know, needing to build things up, you know, and setting a tone and I, you know, you just immediately just hated all three of them on sight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just knowing from the very basic little thing that we read about the movie before we started watching it, that basically it's a type of disaster film. You immediately are just rooting for them to get stuck up on that, on that ski lift and get, and, and get boned because they have those kinds of punchable faces mm-hmm. and punchable voices and uh, punchable speech. If there were such a thing. Yeah. To be fair, Parker being the least of those three. You know, she was the most charming of the three. So I think maybe a little bit of my problem with it too, is I feel like they could have built up the tension a little bit more on their first ride up. Like they did a little bit. They, they first ski lift ride, they take up, they get stopped. And you know, there's a little bit of that foreshadowing and they, you know, the one guy's rocking it and being a jerk and it's creaking and all that kind of stuff. And that, you know, that that starts getting your mind going because you know that's where we're headed eventually. But I feel like they could have maybe, I don't know. I feel like that whole scene was completely extraneous. All that whole beginning part was really not not very good. Yeah, there was never any need to, to have them scheme to get up there. They could have... Because uh, how... Uh, okay, so just skip ahead just a little bit. So how they get stuck up there is they, they convince the ski lift guy to let them up, right? Yeah. And then he gets pulled away to go talk to his manager. The guy covering for him, he says, hey, there's still three more people up there. Right. You know, and then he runs off. Well, three snowboarders come down who are not them. Right. So the other guy who took over has no idea that they're up there. Yeah, he doesn't know those were the wrong people. So, so these guys being shysters and just kind of scheming their way onto the ski lift in the first place is completely unnecessary to the story. All it does is serve to not make you like them. Yeah, they, they definitely didn't know how to write a likable character. They really didn't. I mean, you, you grew to like them a little bit as time went on, but when you're starting from not liking them at all, yeah, it's... Like, there's a way to make that, like, what they were trying to do charming, you know? Or, like, uh, you know, more humorous or lighthearted, I think. Like, yeah, they, they could have, and that, that's what they were going for. They were going for like that lighthearted, oh, oh, those scrappy college kids, what will they do next Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And it didn't play off that well. And you just end up not liking them and you just kind of feel like they're jerks and you feel bad for the ski lift operator, Mm -hmm. you know, putting his job on the line to let these assholes go up and not pay the, they end up paying a hundred bucks for the three of them to go up uh, the ski lift on the, I don't know what it costs to go skiing, Ken. It's a lot. Is it? It's a lot. Do you have any idea like what a ballpark number would be? 
I just don't, off the top of your head? I don't know. Probably more than that per person, though. Or maybe a little less than that. I really don't know. I've, I've never been skiing. I yeah. never will ski. Not something that appeals to me, per se. Mm-hmm. But I would think if you're going to cough up 100 bucks, uh, you couldn't just scrounge a little more and just do it the right way. Right. And maybe, I don't know. But you wouldn't have the movie, I guess. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, numbers I'm seeing like, I don't know, 89 bucks a person. So that's... Okay. Well, this is also 2010 money, too. That's true. Money's this is different. You know. Well, just, I mean, it was they were getting all-day passes, theoretically. Because they went several times. Um, so, yeah. They were still getting a good deal at 100 but they really wanted to only pay 75 or 50 isn't it like isn't it like a hundred bucks to go to Disney for a person? Yeah, something like that. So essentially, to just ski down a mountain, you're basically paying Disney prices. Yeah, I mean that's the thing though. It's the same. It's the same thing. It's the same idea as Disney. You know, you get on the mountain and then they got you by the balls because they're just gonna ring you for every dollar all around that mountain. Okay, that's fair. But so. You know, so yeah, so so the whole setup just sucks. You know, you, you got these, you know, shystery kids. If we liked the people, it would have been more effective. It would have been you. You would have felt a little more for them later on, as as the uh, the misfortune happens. As it is, you're just kind of rooting for the misfortune at first, which is not necessarily. Maybe that's not what the writer wanted, or maybe it is. Yeah, I would assume not. I think they thought it came across a little more charming than it than it really was. The writer slash director's probably also a jerk too. It's possible. And that's probably his idea of what what a charming, likable person is like, perhaps. So anyway, that's the groundwork for the film. Kind of everything that happens else in the beginning is really not it doesn't really have a point. It's not important at all. Um they meet uh, Joe meets a girl that is having trouble with her snowboard and her ex-boyfriend gets jealous and shoves him and that doesn't matter because it it never plays into the story again the only thing that that does is that then he can daydream about her when they're stuck up on the the snow lift you know like he has something to to go back to or like you know if i get off this ski lift i'm gonna marry that girl i'm gonna ask her to marry me even though i just met her so it it just serves to give him like a like a fantasy you know it's kind of a joke too that he's never he doesn't have a girlfriend because you know he can't keep one or, you know, he just, he, he gets hurt too easily. He later referred to himself as a sensitive bitch. Yeah. And I think there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, Dan, uh, played by, uh, Kevin, Kevin Zegers. Yeah. He, wh- what did you say he was? He was the budget. Uh, he was the budget Zach Efron. The budget Zach Efron. He does look like. A less expensive version of Zac Efron. I mean, he looks like the dollar store version because Zac Efron is like an, an amazing looking human being. But, you know, so he like, wasn't terrible. He just, you know. He, he, so he, like like if you made like a fifth or sixth generation clone of Zac Efron, it would be this guy. Exactly. Yeah. There's still a little charm there. Yeah, he, d- he did look he did, he did look vaguely familiar, mm-hmm. but because he looks like somebody else. Right. He looks like, you know, leading movie guy. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, but... You know, he looks like community theater in a small town leading guy. Yeah. Correct. That that's him. Yeah. That's this guy. And he uh his his big credit that, that we saw, he was in uh the Dawn of the Dead remake from two thousand four. He played 
Terry, who, if I recall, was one of the mall security guys. That's pretty fancy. And then, uh, oh, God. Sean Ashmore, who played Joe Lynch. He was in some of the X-Men movies as Iceman. And then Emma Bell. God, what else was she in? She was in something it was she uh, was in she was in dawn uh not, not dawn of the dead walking dead yeah walking dead and some other kind of horror movie i could have sworn it was something hold on final destination that was the one yeah she was in the, final the, destination the five but i just i just realized now she also reminds me of the uh she she reminds me of the leading lady in dawn of the dead from 2004 according to this she was not in it but that's who she was reminding me of because i certainly don't remember her from anything else but short version is you know these guys have worked in other productions yeah you know they're all professional actors they do a decent job but you just don't care about the characters and that's the it's not their fault that they weren't written to be likable you know they 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 were because of the way the things that happened to them, eventually you felt something for them anyway. But it could have been a lot better if we had started off on a different foot with them. We really should have. Because once, so once they're up in the ski lift, and once the lights go out, and once Dan jumps down and breaks his legs, uh, the the practical effect on that was interesting. It's like broomsticks were sticking out of his pants mm-hmm. where his knees should be. And that was kind of a silly looking effect. They did their best. I mean, they did. Uh, did they though? I think they did. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, the effects weren't terrible. That one definitely stood out as being a little. I don't know. We we just couldn't determine whether that was. Well, they re- kept realistic. They or... kept they kept flashing back too to the same angle. Yeah. Of his viewpoint of looking at his legs mm-hmm. and them kind of twitching. They they showed us that like three times. They were trying to go for like a body horror kind of, you know. They did. And it wasn't quite quite gelling at that point. Yeah. But his reaction was pretty believable. They did better in other parts. That that part was definitely the weakest, I think. Like, let's talk about the other effects. Let's talk about the other effects. While we're on this subject. Oh, man. So there's a number of cold-related problems that happen. So one that gave me the absolute heebie-jeebies is uh, on the second day, Parker wakes up and she had lost one of her gloves uh, the night night before when she was trying to light a cigarette. So she's had a gloveless hand all night and she wakes up and it's uh, stuck to the safety bar of the lift. And she has, there's this whole scene where she's trying to pull it up off of the bar and eventually she has to like really rip it off and it leaves skin behind and oh my god, oof! Big mood, did not like. It was very well done though. It was very effective. That was very effective and absolutely grossed me out. Yeah. Um. The way that she played it too, that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. That was just that was that was one of the best scenes in the whole film, I think. Yeah. See, the other, the other thing is, like, she had the skin on her face. Yeah. Oh, she yes. She a couple times, yes. and then it came off. Ah. I was expecting almost. I, I could see why they didn't do it, because you have to have your, your 
your actress person, you know, like the pretty person, like they just give her like this little patch on her face. I was waiting for someone's nose to get frozen up. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because that would have been more realistic. They really should have had more frostbite with how long they were up there for. Yeah. I just couldn't believe they weren't really covering up their faces, but I guess it's it's, it's hard to film a, a movie when yeah. you can't see anybody. Yeah, it was a style stylistic choice. Yeah, but I mean, the way Not that they w- the one. way that they wake up though with their faces still exposed. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I just the little changes I might have made for the sake of realism. So the first time that uh, Joe, the other bland guy, tries to climb out of the ski lift and climb the cable to the nearest pole to climb down. Uh, he only gets a couple of feet, and then he realizes the cable, steel cable's cutting into his gloves, making his hands bleed. You know, and he also realizes that the wolves are about to eat his best friend. You know, that's not really a fun situation to be in. And it's not until the next day or so when he really gets desperate that he tries to make another go for it. And he does make it, and... And he just really eats his hands it up. It really eats his hands up, and that's pretty disgusting. And... He ends up, you know, fighting off the wolves with a ski stick and he, you know, grabs a snowboard and starts scooching away with the wolves chasing him. And you think, hey, he might get it. This is leading to the other effect coming up. When Parker finally gets to the ground and makes her way there, she ends up finding his body being devoured by wolves. And I actually had to really kind of tilt my head and look at that that uh, body prop they did, that was actually really well done. Yeah. You know, just a big hunk of like bloodied flesh mm-hmm. with some parts still recognizable as, a, you know, a, a proper human. So, yeah, I think all of those effects were, were effective in their own way. The, the leg one was the weakest as far as when we were just staring at it, but it yeah. was great right when it happened. Like I if said, they would have kept it more out of focus. I think it would have been better. The crunch was great. And also when the wolves finally, when the wolves get gather around to eat him and you hear all the sounds and, and noise of all that, but they don't show you anything. That was great too. Cause your imagination does fill in a lot mm-hmm. and the reactions of uh, those actors, you know, hearing their friend and boyfriend die. Yeah. Just crunching and screaming. Oh and man. Gurgling. That's, that's pretty, that, that was pretty intense. So certainly there were parts of that were that were, that were good. So let's talk about some of the things that really didn't work in this film. Mm. Uh, you pointed this out at least a couple of times, but the cinematography is a problem in this film. Yeah. So what happened was they filmed this movie, especially the part with just the, the three people, on an actual ski lift, actually up in the air. So... All of the parts where they're up there just hanging out talking, they're literally a cam- two, one or two camera guys up there dangling, filming them. So, you didn't have great cinematography, and I said I wanted to murder the DP for this movie because there's sometimes where it would be, you know, shooting one person's face and then trying to slowly drift over when the other person started talking, but then the first person started talking again. And, like, no one's face was really in focus, and it was just like, I understand afterwards why that happened, but they still just should not have done it that way. They should have got a couple cameras up there, two, you know, two or three cameras, and even if someone wasn't just, like, actively moving it, you know, it had some kind of rig where it was just stationary on them. 
I would. Uh, it wasn't all the time, but when it when it happened, it was it, it was the kind of thing that once you notice it, it's all you can see. And every time there's a close up, you see one person's face and then half of another person's face. So you have too many close in shots where not any one thing is the particular focus the way that it should be. I know there's a uh, couple times when Parker's crying and she's kind of off to the side of the screen, but there's really nothing else that's the focus. But there's a lot more going on in this. Not necessarily detail, but there's just other stuff in the shot. Right. Right. That doesn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. And once you notice it, you never stop unseeing it. And it, it, it drove me nuts yeah. once I saw that. And I get it. Okay, so they're all dangling up 50 feet in the air shooting this. So how about you just shoot every scene multiple times and, and then stitch them together? You know, just take get the shots you need and then film it again and then get all the other shots and then do it again. Get all the shots a third time for the third guy. Yeah. That's what I might have done. This is one movie that definitely, if it was shot now, would have benefited from drone footage. They could oh, have, God, yeah. They could have done a lot more with this movie. Um just given that the way they did it, they did it with no CGI, no, you know, it's all just them on a mountain just shooting it, which I, I, I admire that they did that. I admire the hell out of that. I, as somebody who's sick to death of CGI, I give them, you know, two thumbs up for that. They just should have composed those shots better. Yeah. You know, as far as like, you know, the quality of the film itself, mm-hmm. you know, they had good lighting, they had good, it, it had a good tone, I guess, you know, good color palette to everything. If that makes sense. Just, it, it, it was pretty where it needed to be. Yeah. But they did not take advantage of the scenery enough. No. I mean, they had a lot of shots of just, you know, up the mountain and down the mountain and whatever. Yeah. I, there's just one. We should be a couple of nice big establishing. I, see, here's the thing. I've been spoiled from all the Norwegian films <laughs> where they really just showcase the, the wildlife and the beauty yeah. of their country. And this was, I mean, the, the, okay. So they do try to portray that this is set in new England, but it's filmed in Utah. Mm. So maybe that's one reason why they didn't, uh, you know, go too far out there with the, the scenery, but it just, cause there was a early, Think so like the because the, the the morning of the second day, you see the, the the two that are left in that ski lift, and you see some of the mountains and the beauty around them, and it's just kind of thrown aside. I think part of that too is they're trying to keep it almost claustrophobic, where you know you're in that one spot and you're stuck with them. So I think that may have been an intentional decision, but sure. Yeah. Once they're on the ski lift, I get it. Yeah. What I'm saying is like in the run up to that, that instead of just having these you know these three idiots talk at the beginning mm-hmm. and not caring right like moments like that would have been a great time for some of those nice establishing shots yeah because you only need one or two and that's it you could have got a better feel for the mountain too like how things were shaped where they were oh absolutely it would have provided some more context because what because in that scene on this morning of the second day when you see just a little bit of what's around him you kind of realize that you never really got to see it yeah and that's that's kind of sad mm-hmm. because seeing also, it would have made it more real in that sense. Also the spot where they stopped the first day was the exact same spot. They stopped this at the, in the night. Oh yeah. Like when they got stopped, 
going up during the day when everyone was around was the exact same spot. The chairlifts were in the same position, same, you know, because that's, I mean, that's where they filmed it all was right there. Yeah. But it just, it was distracting to me just because I'm like, all right, it's the exact same spot. A little too much coincidence on that one. But I get it. That's where they set up to film. Yeah, but again, we didn't even need that scene either. I mean, it was kind of, it was a nice little teaser to be like, ooh, when's it going to happen? Yeah. Personally, I was kind of rooting for it to just stop during the day and let all hell break loose and have, you know, a hundred people stuck on ski lifts trying to figure something out. Yeah. That would have been interesting too. That's a different movie. That's a different movie. May have been a better movie. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just saying we could have had that or or we could have had a movie where we spend the bulk of 90 minutes looking at a couple people talking to ski lift. That is what we had. Which is what we have. Because make no mistake, regardless of what the film is about, regardless of the, the grisly body horror that's in this, essentially you're watching a series of monologues in a ski lift. Yeah. And I mean, if that's what you're into, good, good for you. I'm definitely not. This is not. I did not get into this movie as much as you did, for sure. Because I just couldn't. Like, even the parts where it was, like, uncomfortable to watch the things that were happening, I still just wasn't into it enough to really care. Like, when she peeled her hand off the thing, it didn't really affect me the same way it affected you. But I think I had already just kind of checked out Oh, you, you definitely have. You were, you were half slumped over in your in your seat most of the night. <laughs> Not that I blame you. Yeah. But. Uh, it, just, it didn't suck me in. Yeah. Because all I could think of is how they were just dangling there. And that was all that I was going to see this whole movie. I, I really found myself wondering how the hell are they going to get out of that? And when the first guy got eaten by wolves, I'm like, oh, maybe they won't. Yeah. And I consider that a very real possibility. I did kind of call it early on, though, that the girl was actually going to make it out. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the lazy choice, too. That though. was the lazy choice. I'm just saying the the brave, bold choice would have had to have them all die. That would have been the, the, the brave, bold choice. And also, just the one death wouldn't have seemed satisfying enough. But that could have been another another choice that they could have made as well. Like Especially... The way that it happened when she got discovered at the end that she threw herself down into the road. Like, come on now. She could have just gotten run over and that could have been the end of the movie. That could, that that would have been a great ending too. And I was almost rooting for that. Just, you know, give us something a little something we haven't seen before. If you're going to make just a bleak, awful film, just go all the way. Yeah. Just go all the way. Fuck me up, fam. <laughs> Let her make it to the end and then get run over. I mean, at the, Something. At, at the end, it's like... It's like, oh, we're just going to take you and you're going to be in the hospital. Gonna you're going to be okay. and Everything's fine. She hears the voice of her dead boyfriend telling her she's going to be okay. You know, which is just to remind you that, oh, yeah, there was some other dipshit in the film who died earlier. It's like, because oh, by that point, I'd completely forgotten about him. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because he was kind of a jerk and he was gone pretty early. Indeed. So is there anything else to say about this movie? I mean, so with all these things in mind, does this film meet our three primary criteria, Ken? Well, the first one is it well written. I would say it is 45% well written. 
I would give it 65%, to be honest. I'm saying like 45% is solid. Maybe that next 20% up to 60% is like okay. But I don't think it's it's quite that far solid. Well, so so I argue for better than better than half because while that opening scene was weak, yeah, some of the other little exchanges that they have in the first act of the film are pretty weak. Um, it really does get better as the film progresses, mm-hmm. and it becomes very uh, believable. Mm-hmm. It becomes more believable as it goes on. The way that they talk to each other, the way that they react, um, what their actual choices are. Yeah. It does seem a little bit lazy to just have the wolves be a constant threat. Because you would think in a place, in a busy-ass ski lift, even if it's abandoned five days a week, you would think that human presence has been there enough to scare wolves off. Yeah. I would think. But they wouldn't just be hunting there in a pack. They wouldn't just be hunting there in a pack. But you never, I don't know. It's possible. I am i don't work for a forestry. I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't work for the Department of the Interior. Yeah. I think, I mean, I could see what you're, what you mean as far as they do have some decent conversations. The way they relate to each other isn't out of the, you know, question. They try to focus on like the better times and like talk about hypotheticals and stuff like that. Just to kind of distract them from what's going on. That's not terrible. I just was sick of it. By you know, by the time it it got okay, that's all. So, like, like well, like I said, so like where where I really feel like that thirty five forty percent of it sucks is that first act. Yeah, that brings everything down for sure because they never really recover from that. If that first act had been better written, it would have sold the whole rest of the film that much more. Yeah. So that really that really is what tanks this film. Because honestly, the parts of the ski lift are interesting mm-hmm. to me, especially as somebody who doesn't particularly like heights, as somebody who doesn't particularly like ski lifts, and neither do you. It is kind of a, an exploration of what a nightmare scenario would be in that situation, mm. and I think that's really done pretty well, and it's done believably, and maybe their low budget and everything else had a lot to do with that. I'm sure. But I really feel that the writing is pretty strong in the last two thirds. Is it is it excellent? No. Yeah. But it's it's strong it's strong enough that it. I don't feel like I completely wasted ninety minutes of my time. If nothing else, I certainly have given a lot more thought to what I would do in such a situation in the future, Ken. Yeah, which is probably none of the things they did. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So so for well written, I mean fifty fifty. Yeah. You know, it, it's a wash. It's not terribly written and it's not well written. Okay. It's just, it was, it was, it was written. It was written. It, it was written. Okay. So it doesn't meet that criteria. Was it well acted? I think it was decently acted. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was decently acted as well. Um, you, you, you spend a lot of time with just those three people. They're all pulling their weight, you know, even though they were, you know, being kind of jerks, that's what their characters were. So. You know, they did good at that, I guess. And they do become more likable as their situation grows more grim. Mm-hmm. Because none of them, they they all rise up, rise to the occasion in some form. You know, Dan makes the sacrifice to try to jump down and get help. And, you know, 
while foolhardy, it was very noble of him to do. Yeah, they all they all have very small character arcs. They it's do. Not, it's not big arcs, but they all have a little bit of development. For a couple of days of being stuck on a ski lift, you know, that's that, that could be, you know, that that's the proper amount of character arc you should have. And there, there was even like little things too. Like I noticed, like Joe was was complaining earlier about snowboarding. Uh, like you know, he's like he wouldn't give up his skis, but then he had to use the snowboard to like save his life. You know, there's like a little. Little things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they did good with what they had, for sure. Especially given the fact that they were just hanging up in the air, apparently, for days, like, actually filming this movie. Yeah, kudos on that. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. And actually acting while they're up there. So, we definitely, I'm definitely going to give it to them. It's well acted. Yeah. Is it well produced, Ken? Somewhat. I, I'm at an almost. Yeah, somewhat. Almost. Mm-hmm. There it's, are, they do have a good location. They do have a lot of good shots, but but then there's all the bad stuff. There's just so much more they could have done. Yeah, they really should have fixed some of those those uh, close up shots. Mm-hmm. They should have given us more establishing shots. We could have seen at least maybe one other location. Mm-hmm. I feel like we just didn't see enough of. Anything beyond the ski lift. And that's what I feel like, too, was another wasted thing is they could have used, you know, maybe there was something up at the top of the hill they thought they could use. Like, they just needed more. Like, their only options were jump and use your, and go hand over hand over to the thing. Because that's the only things they could do is just fall. Like, they should have given them another. Yeah, it does feel like there should have been another avenue to, to explore. Yeah. Like and, maybe there was a tree that seemed like it was just close enough or, you know, that they like knocked a limb off of or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't say what's missing from the production, but something's definitely missing. Yeah. It needed, it needed that magic little spark. That's just not in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that fair to rate, rate the film's production for missing that? Well, the production, the the main thing is the bad, bad shots. There's one shot where the third character is just blurry and out of focus while she's talking. You know, the ones I mentioned earlier where they're just drifting back and forth between people, but not fast enough to actually catch up to the reactions. We're actually like in the middle between two people. We can see barely half their faces. Like that's inexcusable. Even in a movie like this, where it's supposed to be just, you know, up on a mountain or whatever, like. Th- those needed to go. They need to do re- redo on those. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to go with you on that one. I mean, sound, sound editing the, was good. The sound editing was great. Uh, but, editing for stuff that was out of focus was good. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the whole thing with the movie is you watch it. Yeah. You know, you, you can be deaf and still watch a movie. I think overall, it just suffered from them not able to they needed a, a way to better film the them up on that thing they just needed without just hanging off it they needed like a one of the cherry picker things or like something where they could get more people up there they needed more deliberate shots yeah they they, sh- they really needed to uh, I, I it seems like they didn't decide in advance what shots they were going to get mm-hmm. for those close ups yeah and they just kind of filmed and then just took whatever they had after the fact agreed so I, I really think they needed to take more close-up shots of each person 
mm-hmm. and maybe a couple of all three of them. They, uh, from, you know, especially from the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. All right. So it was fairly, fairly well written. Uh, it was reasonably acted and eh, produced. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's, it's a straight middle of the line movie. Was it terrible? No, it was not terrible. It was not awful. We've seen movies way worse than this. This was this was an okay movie. This was an okay movie. But but it, it, it you know and has needed to spice it up a little. It needed it needed a little bit of because the parts where we were just hanging around and just talking. Yeah, that's oh my god. I was definitely hoping for a little more action for like, sure. I was thinking about paint trying, and it didn't seem so bad. Like if it was paint I liked. I'm just saying. I don't think the movie's that bad, Ken. Some of those parts were just dragged on and on. Which is funny because it's only a 90-minute film. Yeah. It's like, I knew what I was getting. You know, we're just out in the wilderness hanging around. So, whatever. That is what it is. It's a talkie. It's just not for me. So, yeah, I, I guess we can't really recommend the film, but I'll say this. I certainly don't. You know, I know we, we feel a little differently about it, so... I do not recommend this movie. This is the kind of film that I would in the I would never watch it again. But if you're at home and you're just flipping through the free YouTube movies and just happen to see it on there, there are worse ways to spend 90 minutes. This would be a good movie to watch if you were in a ski lodge and you wanted to watch something get a little spooked. Like if you're on location on a mountain somewhere, that might be a better use of your time. I like Sitting that. in Florida, thinking about snowy slope, like it. No. It doesn't. Yeah, didn't do anything for me. Yeah, but I mean, I, I grew up with snow and I hate snow, so I kind of feel you. Yeah. I. I but I, I still, I, and I think that's what, I think that's why some of those uh, the scenes, like when the skin comes off the hand. I remember, you know, when I first moved to uh, the Northwest as a kid and we had snow everywhere and giant icicles and I froze my ass off that first winter. Um, definitely those kinds of things came to mind. So it just, it just kind of hit me a little different, I guess. Yeah. But does that mean that this is a film you should see? Probably not, but you know, it's not going to kill you to watch it. Isn't that high praise? (laughs) (laughs) You heard it first here. It won't kill you to watch it. But it will kill 90 minutes. So that's a wrap for tonight's episode here at the O&M Stockroom. We are your host, Ken O'Malley. And Brian McGarry. If you enjoyed this segment of Complimentary Cinema, more episodes can be found at omstockroom.com, along with our Patreon page and various streaming outlets. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode. And we won't be frozen. No. Or will we? Oh, and I just want to add, as an addendum, nobody really freezes in this film. No, that's true. No one is frozen. No one ever actually freezes. So Except after they've already died. Except after they've... And even then, I, you know what? Big thumbs down for this one. <laughs> you heard it here. The title is a lie. Nobody